on some, some Sunday mornings we'll actually do group walking practice. I have this wonderful image that we'll be able to walk out that door, circumvent the garden, come in the front door, you know, have a nice huge circle for the community to wander about. We'll see, but we can at least do a loop here or maybe in the lobby too and, and possibly start including some of the children in the walking time. So sometimes we'll sit till 11, sometimes we'll end about 10 to 11. So there's time for walking and then a short talk and discussion uh, ending at 10.30 for those who are new. But because we're doing the uh, refuges and precept recitation this morning, which takes about 12 minutes or so, we'll uh, not do the walking today. I want to talk a little bit about um, Siva or the five precepts. Just as a way to make it more than just a ceremony or a recitation, but to make it a practice for ourselves. And the great thing about the understanding um, the path, the spiritual path and spiritual technology is you realize as long as we begin somewhere, it actually opens up the whole path. And I think this is true with something like kindness, too. I'm sure many of you have heard this uh, simple line by the Dalai Lama, which, of course, makes everybody love him when he says something like, uh, you know, my religion is the religion of kindness. Because it's really trustworthy when somebody says that. And that's really the, the flavor of taking on the precepts, which really are just built on the principle of not harming others, not harming self and other others. Um, so when we, when we really become devoted to kindness or non-harming, we uh, make our heart really trustworthy. I mean, we see it ourselves, that like, I can trust my heart. The commitment to sila, or living in harmony or non-harming, is the development of a heart that can be trusted. You know, when it's pretty easy for us to reflect on how um, important being safe is. Debbie has an interesting story that she can tell you in detail, but she was on a nine-day retreat and walking in a very peaceful, spacious way, and was attacked and bit by a pit bull. And uh, so it's amazing how vulnerable we are, being alive, being on this planet, having a fragile human body, uh, caring about other people in a way that can cause our feelings to get hurt, you know, when they look at us the wrong way or don't treat us in the way that we want to be treated. We're really vulnerable. And so we, each of us, we understand the desire or the aspiration for safety. You know, we all know what it feels like to be unsafe, and we all know what it feels like to be safe, or there's times when we're relatively safe. So it's a pretty easy step by extension to see that well, everybody in this room wants to be safe just like I do, and they're vulnerable just like I am. They have a very fragile, vulnerable body just like I do, subject to aging and illness 
and attacks by pit bulls <laughs> and who knows what else. And, uh, and even probably as, as fragile and sensitive as we are in terms of you know, just our physical well-being, I think, for myself at least, I'm much more emotionally fragile than I am physically fragile. And uh, just capable of generating thoughts and memories that are harmful to myself, to myself, and also subject to what I imagine other people are thinking or saying. And this is just the way it is. So if we just reflect on that, it's pretty clear that we don't want to add to what makes us feel unsafe. That that's not what we want to do. That what we want to do, what we really care about, what makes so much sense is, you know, not to do anything that increases harm to myself, to others. And we begin by <clears throat> learning that this heart can be trained, like the, the tendency to strike out, to be violent, even in very subtle ways. Like for me, one of the most common ways I practice, I act out in a violent way, is I close down. And I just sort of become a little bit aloof and close down. And it's a kind of, you know, it's a kind of pushing the world or pushing a person out of my heart which is an act of violence. So we want to become sensitive. The more we recognize the heart's capacity for kindness and forgiveness and patience and intimacy, you know, really being willing to show up in the messiness of the world, the more we trust it. And that, that, that trusting of the heart is a cause for deep relaxation and joy. And the Buddha made this point over and over again, how sila, the development of kindness or non-harming, is the cause, the most direct cause for happiness, and one of the most stable causes for happiness. So if you're interested in an immediate and stable <laughs> happiness, cultivating kindness seems to be the way. So I think it's important to think about this because when we hear the five precepts, it can sound a lot like a lot of shoulds. You know, like somebody up high, <laughs> now the speakers at Common Ground sit on a platform and it feels a little weird. <laughs> so those of us on high <laughs> saying, you know, I undertake the training not to harm other beings, not to steal, not to uh, act out sexually in a way that's harmful or to speak in a way that's harmful or to consume intoxicants in a way that increases the probability of unskillful, harmful behavior. You know, so when we undertake these five precepts for lay people, it can sound heavy, but we wanna, uh, we can appreciate that it's just about uncovering the heart that wants to do this, that wants to live in this way, that wants to be kind, and sensitive in this world. And that that's not like a weakness to be kind and patient and forgiving and sensitive, intimate. This isn't a weakness, it's actually a real power. And I'm sure you felt this, I'm sure all of us have felt this at times, uh, 
just being in that place of power when we trust the heart, we trust the kindness of the heart, we trust that the heart is relating in a wise way, a stable way. I, the first time I noticed this, I forget what grade I was in, but something like fourth grade, and there was this bully in our school, in our class. He later turned out to be a, a pretty famous professional wrestler. <laughs> I was sitting at St. Anthony, Maine many years ago, probably in the mid-80s, uh, so I was an adult, and I was there with my family. And this huge guy kind of whacks me on the back and says, Mark Numberg, how are you doing? <laughs> Except he had this really gruff voice, and he was huge. And it was this guy I knew, he was a good friend all the way through elementary school. But he was a bully back then. Uh, but for whatever reason, we were kind of friends most of the time. And uh, anyway, he somehow recognized me. I never would have recognized him. And uh, he died, actually, not too, maybe five years ago, probably from, I'm guessing, from all the steroids or whatever he took to get that big. Um, so probably somewhat of a tragic life. But anyway, at some point in fourth grade, the class turned on him and just was sick and tired of him being a bully. And I was one, I was probably one of the instigators like of having had enough of this guy. And we didn't do anything, we just sort of emotionally turned on him and as a group no longer were gonna uh, be subject to his uh, power. And I just remember him kind of on this snowbank and the class sort of surrounding him and somehow telling him off, I don't even remember what we were saying, but somehow, and he started to cry. And uh, of course, which we had never seen this guy cry. And, uh, and uh, at that point, I just, I, I was moved by his weakness and being sensitive. And I don't even remember what I said, but I, I basically said something to the effect of, let's leave him alone now and be done with it. And uh, and I, which you know, that was not uh, something that I would normally do. Uh, I never felt empowered to sort of speak up in that way. But in that moment, somehow my heart was moved, and I really trusted it. Like I didn't. It wasn't even. Uh, I don't remember even a decision being made. But I, in hindsight, looking back, and I still, it's still a relatively vivid memory, at least some aspects of it are pretty vivid and I think as I think back on it is I, I totally trusted the goodness of my heart like what I was seeing I just trusted that to somehow pick on somebody who's already gotten the message that we wanted to deliver was like not not necessary and not good and uh, Somehow people recognize that too, you know, after I spoke up and, and we just left him alone. Maybe that's why he was my good friend, actually. <laughs> uh, I realized, oh, that probably made an imprint in his mind. <laughs> so, one of the, uh, you know, one of the reasons we have these precepts and any of the spiritual practices that we do, like sitting in silence, is that we're trying, we're kind of using ritual, like sitting meditation is ritual, going on a retreat is ritual, gathering together with spiritual friends is a ritual. We use various forms or rituals 
to help us recognize something that's always there, but we don't often see. So when we take on the precept of I undertake the training not to harm living beings, to refrain from harming living beings, it's a ritual or it's a container to realize that this is actually the most beautiful thing. This is actually the easiest thing. That being aggressive or being withdrawn or being uh, negative or angry, resentful, hating ourselves takes a lot of work and is exhausting and uh, it isn't the way. Like you're really getting that that isn't the way and that there's another way, but that we need, we need reminders. So coming together once a quarter or, you know, I do the refuges every morning. I, I think it's a great thing, just it takes only about two minutes or less to remember that I'm, I'm undertaking the training not to harm living beings. I'm undertaking the training not to take things that aren't given to me, not to live with this feeling of scarcity, but to cultivate a feeling of contentment with what I have. I undertake a training not to act out my sexual attachments or energy in ways that are harmful. That really keeps, you know, kind of keeps me awake. Or I undertake the training not to speak in a way that's harmful or not to stay silent in a way that's harmful. I undertake the training not to ingest things or to, you know, whether it's magazines or drugs or alcohol in a way that clouds the mind so that it's hard to do these first four things. You know, in a way, intoxicating the mind is neutral except that when we're intoxicated one way or another, it's harder to be kind. It's harder to recognize the goodness of being kind. So once a month we uh, come together and we take the three precepts, I mean the three refuges, undertake the five trainings, the five precepts, and remind ourselves of our three refuges. And that the two sets, the two rituals really play together. It's like understanding what is truly a refuge is what allows us to train with these five in these five areas of not harming, not stealing, etc. So understanding like we have the refuges are really teaching us that there is something here to tap into. There is an essential goodness that's not something we have to create, but we it's something we have to sort of reveal, move move the dust aside let go of our distractions, our fear for a moment. And that's really what the refuges are about. When we say, I take refuge in the Buddha, we're recognizing that whether we have full confidence or not, with whatever confidence we have, we're saying out loud that I take refuge in the heart, the heart that's always here. You know, you can use a different word. You can use Buddha. You can use whatever word you want. But it's here and now, and it's stainless. So no matter how many mistakes we've made in our lives, no matter how uh, angry we are right now, it doesn't affect the Buddha. 
That's not what we take refuge in what can't be stained. And we take refuge in the Dhamma. Once we understand that essential goodness, then the messiness of life isn't a problem as much. So we take refuge in life as it actually is. All of our own mental emotional conditioning, all the mental and emotional conditioning of the people in the world. We take refuge in our body. We take refuge in our life situation, as messy or beautiful as it might be right now. As John Kabat-Zinn used for the title of his book, we take refuge in the whole catastrophe of our lives, the beauty, the ugly, everything. This is Dhamma. Now, we can't really take refuge in Dhamma unless we have a sense of this refuge of Buddha. Having a sense of this stainless, radiant freedom of the heart allows us to trust life as it actually is, the conditions of our life as, as they are. Or, if you find there are moments in your life where you really have been able to be intimate with the conditions of your life, really felt alive and whole and present, intimate, then that sort of recognition that life can be, the situation, the conditions of life can be trusted completely means there's Buddha right then and there. So they both reveal each other. Knowing Buddha, we can open to Dhamma, the way things are. Opening to Dhamma, the way things are in our life, the conditions of the body and mind, the conditions of the present moment, reveal the space of the heart, the freedom of the heart that can be, that's always there and can be trusted. Understanding Buddha and Dhamma means our life becomes more and more Sangha. Sangha is the third refuge. And one easy way to kind of hold this is when there is this fluency between Buddha and Dhamma, then we just notice kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity. This is how sort of like what comes out of our life. Not even that we're trying to be kind or compassionate or happy or joyful or equanimous, but it's just what flows out naturally. When the heart knows the activity of the heart, or when the Buddha knows Dhamma, the one who knows, knows the way things are, then what manifests in our lives is kindness. So we uh, follow a simple formula here for our refuges and precepts. They are on page, excuse me, 35. And because people uh, since the time of the Buddha, they chanted the refuges and the precepts in Pali, or a language similar to Pali, we'll do that same way, and then also do the English. And uh, we'll ring the bell after each section, just so we have a moment, a few seconds, to reflect on each part of the, of the ceremony. Each time we read one of the precepts, then we usually have somebody read the comments from Thich Nhat Hanh, a well-known Buddhist teacher originally from Vietnam. And so uh, if we could have five volunteers on page two, um, page 36 and 37 to read the comments. So someone to read Thich Nhat Hanh's reflection after the first precept. Somebody want to do that? Thanks, Eric. And then for the second precept. 
Samarvida. Thanks, Debbie. Third precept, Bani, fourth, Shoshana, and fifth, Paul. Anybody want to be the bell ring? Be the bell ring? Thanks, Gal. It just says whenever you ring the bell. And you can, it doesn't need to be too loud because then it uh, resonates too long. So we begin in a traditional way of connecting with our teacher, one of our great teachers, the Buddha, this historic person who uh, set these teachings in motion. And then from his teaching, then other people had the same insight that he had. And to who knows, millions probably of men and women, it's just been passed down. So we're honoring, you can you can re- reflect that we're honoring all of the teachers from the Buddha on down who brought these teachings to us. And again, we you can use Anjali if you want during the recitation. So we'll begin with three bells, and then we'll honor the Buddha, and then we'll do the three refuges. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo
and then we begin the five precepts. First in Pali, then in English, and then we'll listen to the person reading Thich Nhat Hanh's comments. Anatti pada veramani sika padam samadhyami. I undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I am committed to cultivating compassion and learning ways to protect the lives of all beings. I am determined not to kill, not to let others kill, and not to condone any act of killing in the world, in my thinking and in my way of life. This is the first of the five mindfulness trainings I vow to study and practice it. Another second. Adina Dana, where are the Sikapadamsamadiyami? I undertake the pain to refrain from taking that which is not given. Aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing, and oppression, I am committed to cultivating loving kindness and learning ways to work for the well-being of all beings. I will practice generosity by sharing my time, energy, and material resources with those who are in real need. I am determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others. I will respect the property of others, but I will prevent others from profiting from human suffering or the suffering of other species on earth. This is the second of the five mindfulness trainings. I vow to study and practice it. And now the third. Kame sumichachara veram samadhyami. I undertake the training to refrain from causing harm to sexual misconduct. Aware of suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I'm committed to cultivating responsibility and learning ways to protect the integrity and the safety of individuals, couples, families, and society. I am determined not to engage in sexual activities without love and commitment. To preserve the happiness of myself and others, I am determined to respect my commitments and the commitments of others. I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and to protect couples and families from being harmed by sexual misconduct. This is the third of the five mindfulness trainings I vow to study and practice. Now the poor. Musawada Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami. I undertake the training to refrain from false and harmful speech. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to others, I am committed to cultivating loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and relieve others of their suffering. 
Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I am determined to speak truthfully with words that inspire self-confidence, joy, and hope. I will not spread information that I do not know to be certain, and I will not criticize or condemn things of which I am not sure. I will refrain from uttering words with the intention of vision or discord. I am determined to make efforts to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, however small. This is the fourth of the five mindfulness trainings I vow to study and practice it. And now the fifth. Sura Maryam Ajapamaratana Veramani Sikha Padam Samadhyami I undertake the training to pain from the misuse of intoxicants. Where is suffering caused by unmindful consumption? I'm committed to the cultivation of good health, both physical and mental, for myself, my family, and my society by practicing mindful eating, drinking, and consuming. I will ingest only items that preserve peace, well-being, and joy in my body, in my consciousness, and in the collective body and consciousness of my family and society. I am determined not to misuse alcohol or any other intoxicant, or to ingest foods or other items that undermine spiritual growth, such as unwholesome TV programs, magazines, books, films, and conversations. I am aware that to damage my body or my consciousness with such poisons is to harm all beings. I understand that a proper diet is crucial for self-transformation and for the transformation of society. This is the fifth of the five mindful trainings. I vow to study and practice it. In the closing line, Idam me silam maga palanyana sa achayo May my conduct conduce to attainment of the highest fruits of liberation. And then we share the merit, taking refuge, undertaking the five mindfulness trainings, and practicing the way of awareness and insight gives rise to benefits without limit. I offer to share all blessings and merits with my parents, teachers, family, friends, and with all beings everywhere. May this life and practice contribute to a great stream of causes and conditions, leading to happiness, peace, and liberation for all beings. May all beings be happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.